Does God give up on his kids when they sin? Will he turn away from his children and ignore their prayers when they have failed? According to John Fonville, God is faithful. He's a God who disciplines his children, but we can have confidence that he's a God of mercy as we struggle with our sin. He hears us and forgives his children. Today we're looking at Psalm 6 in our mini-series called How to Keep Going. Here's John with part two of The Lord Accepts My Prayer. As the author of Hebrews writes, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Listen, and he chastises every son whom he receives. You see, so when you're in a dark night and possess a sense of God's displeasure, his severe discipline, and you lose the sweetness of his presence for bitterness, you have to remember that even at that point, God is not your vindictive, wrathful judge. He is your kind and loving father who is receiving you, not abandoning you, and who is disciplining you out of love to press out the corrupt juices of the old Adam so that you can be more like Christ. And so we have to recall that when we're in a dark night because of Christ's satisfaction for us, God, our Father, he no longer remembers our sins. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 8, that God, because of the new covenant, he says he'll no longer remember our sins, hold them against us. He doesn't hold against us even the sinful nature against which we are struggling our whole life, but rather he imputes to us the righteousness of Christ so that we will never again come under condemnation ever again. We have to remember that. And so listen, when a believer sins, he or she doesn't lose fellowship with Christ. That's salvation Rather, what do we lose? We lose, like David, the sense of the sweetness of that fellowship. The sweetness of our fellowship becomes bitter. And this is what David laments when he says, Return, O Lord. Instead of possessing a sense of comfort of God's presence, David possesses this sense of bitterness. And so if we're going to keep going on when we experience a dark night, we have to distinguish, first of all, between filial and slavish fear. This psalm teaches us to, that we have to learn to continuously call upon God on the basis of his mercy. Just like David in this psalm, he is repeatedly throughout this psalm, five times he calls upon God. He, you have what, what we did this morning, an invocation. He's invoking God. He, it is an invocation. He is crying out for deliverance to God. He is constantly calling upon God, and he does it on the basis of God's mercy. The form of the service that we do week after week is so vital to teach us how to live the Christian life because this psalm teaches us that our lives are to be lived in invocation. We hear God's law read to us, and what is our invocation? What is our cry for deliverance and help? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. That's a wonderful prayer. I probably pray that prayer 500 times a day, every day. Calling upon God, Lord, just have mercy, right? That's a perfect prayer. 
And this psalm teaches us that our lives are to be lived in invocation, this cry for help, this cry for deliverance. We first find this invocation in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, where the scriptures record man first calling upon God after man had fallen into sin. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's an invocation. It's a cry for help. Michael Horton says that the ancient political treaties included the provision for calling on the name of the great king in a time of crisis. And he says, in this treaty, the covenant Lord gives his name to his people so that they might call upon him in distress. In times of defeat, call upon God. In times of need and sin and failure, cry out for help on the basis of God's mercy. Notice in Psalm 6, verse 2, how David calls upon God, how David does this. Look at verse 2. What does he say? He says, have mercy on me, O Lord. You see that. Have mercy. Look at verse 4. He says, oh, save me for your mercy's sake. Verse 2 is literally, give me grace, O Lord. And verse 4 is this, literally, save me for your loving kindness. Save me for your unfailing love. Save me for your steadfast love, this hesed, this covenant faithfulness. Where you've made a promise, God, and you're faithful to keep it for me. Have mercy upon me. Be faithful to me according to your grace. When we fall into sin, what do we need? Grace. David is experiencing divine discipline. He realizes that God had made a covenant to him in the past. And so he appeals to God's covenant faithfulness and his request for help in his present time of need. Do you know what David was appealing to? Two covenants probably were in his mind at this time, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant, the covenant God had made with him in 2 Samuel 7, the covenant that God had made with Abraham in Genesis chapters 12 and 15 and 17. Because you see, listen carefully, I want you to get this. Throughout the Old Testament, Old Testament saints like David would appeal to God for deliverance, for salvation on the basis of his covenant promise to Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, listen carefully to how Paul describes God's covenant with Abraham. He calls it the gospel beforehand. What is Paul talking about? He's saying that Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 was the gospel and promise before Christ came. The gospel beforehand. The Abrahamic covenant equals the gospel in the Old Testament in promise. So listen, whenever Israel cried out to God for mercy and deliverance, it was always on the basis of God's covenant with Abraham, not with Moses. They never cried out to God on the basis of the Mosaic covenant for mercy. They always cried out to God for salvation, for mercy, for grace on the basis of God's covenant with Abraham, which Paul says was the gospel in promise before Christ came. 
And then later on, Old Testament saints like David would appeal to God's steadfast love, his promise and his covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so ultimately, what we find is, is that the Abrahamic and Davidic covenant promises are fulfilled, covenants are fulfilled in Christ. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew introduces Jesus as the son of Abraham, the son of David. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, that Jesus is, quote, the offspring of Abraham. So what does all of this mean? This is what this means. Jesus is the full and complete fulfillment and expression of God's mercy. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment and expression of God's covenant faithfulness to sinners. Jesus is the perfect expression of grace to restore fallen sinners. In Christ, we have displayed before our eyes of faith, the God who keeps his covenant promises and takes sinners to be his covenant people and is faithful to them forevermore. Jesus, listen, is the perfect expression of God's mercy to sinners. When David is praying, have mercy on me, O God, he's referring back to God's covenant faithfulness where he's made a promise and won't break it, won't renege on it. How do we know that God is actually faithful? Because he has fully fulfilled it, his covenant promise in the sending of Jesus, who is a perfect embodiment of that faithfulness. And so that in Christ, we have the assurance that God will never go back on his word. We have the assurance that his promise to be our God and that we will be his people will never change regardless of our sin. And so God, for Christ's sake, this is what the other Hebrew says, he remembers our sin no more. He will cause us to persevere in our faith and finish the good work that he has begun, which is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. He says, God is faithful. He's filled with covenant faithfulness, mercy, hesed. Exactly what David is praying here in Psalm 6. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So in Christ, we have God's mercy shown to us perfectly, and we have the assurance of his unfailing love to restore sinners. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, in the New Testament at least. Remember what Jesus said to Peter on the night before his crucifixion? Luke chapter 22, I've often told you Luke 22 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Jesus comes up to Peter right after Peter and all the disciples have been arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, what an argument, right? What, what pride, I'm going to be the greatest. Like, wow. Um, and listen to what Jesus says to Peter right after that argument. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Wow. He demanded to have you. But I love conjunctions in the Greek. 
because <laughs> the contrast is so huge. But Satan has demanded to have you, but listen to this comfort. I have prayed for you. I want you to get this. This man is committing horrible sin at this point. (laughs) I am going to be the greatest. I mean, when you're around people like that, it's just like, come on, man. (laughs) I'm going to be the greatest. Uh, Peter, Satan's demanded to have you. (laughs) But I have prayed for you. What did Jesus pray? That your faith may not fail. And it keeps getting better. Listen to all this grace. And when you have turned again, (laughs) when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. How would Peter do that? How would he strengthen his brothers? Because he's learned that God is faithful to his promise to restore sinners by his grace. And that's what strengthens everybody. Now listen to Peter's reply. He sins again. He's got this theology of glory. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I just read the book Radical and I'm totally surrendered. Theology of glory. I am ready to die. Come on, let's go. Jesus said, okay, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. You're not going to die, Peter. You're going to commit gross, horrific sin. Jesus had a theology of the cross and of grace. Peter had a theology of glory and triumph and victorious Christian living. He was radical. The only thing radical about Peter was his gross sin at this moment throughout this whole chapter. And the only radical thing about this whole chapter is that Jesus didn't annihilate him right then. Instead, he prays for him. But you just don't get it, Peter. You have no idea about what I'm saying to you about grace and the gospel right now. You don't get any of this, but it's okay. I pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers with this message that you had complete sin, I had complete grace, and that's all that mattered. You see, Peter would have been ruined forever after he denied Jesus argued about being the greatest, said, I'll go die with you, just like Judas was. He would have been ruined forever, just like Judas, if Peter's faith was not upheld by Jesus' prayer. That's mercy. That's Psalm 6. Have mercy on me, O God. Save me according to your mercy. Judas received justice. Peter received mercy. Which do you want? Jesus, who is mercy, restored Peter. And listen, listen carefully. Jesus restored Peter, and he'll restore you. This brings us to one final insight. When you're experiencing a dark night of the soul, third, 
Be assured that God will hear your cry for deliverance. This picture I told you that David paints is quite miserable. (laughs) A dark night is quite miserable. Sin is misery. And what happens is, is when we fall into periods like this in our life, we're tempted to lose confidence in God that he wants to hear us. You might be tempted to think, and we're often thinking, well, God is just so displeased, he's so distant, he's not going to hear my prayers, or he's not going to hear my cry for deliverance, so why bother? Why pray? He's not going to listen. This is not the case. David's dark night was miserable, but it wasn't hopeless. David was acutely aware of God's displeasure and anger. And David felt like God had abandoned him and turned away his favorable presence. But listen, God was still there. He was still there. He was still there, listen, with David and for David. Do you you see what I'm saying? He was with David and he was for David in David's sin. Despite David's sin and failure, the Lord heard David's cry for deliverance and was faithful to him. Look at Psalm 6, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what David says. He says, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard. Look what he says, the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. Why did the Lord hear David's weeping and supplication, his cry for deliverance, his, his, his invocation for mercy? Why did the Lord receive David's prayer? It's because David understood that God is a God of mercy. God is a God of unfailing love of covenant faithfulness. God hears our prayers, listen, because of mercy, not because of our merit, and not because of, in this case, David's demerit. It is the mercy of God that motivates us to pray to him. And it is the mercy of God on the basis of which he receives us and hears us, because what is mercy? Christ, and who is interceding for us and praying for us? Christ. And why are we heard? We are heard because of Christ, who is the mercy of God. And the Father receives our prayers. As I've said, we have the assurance that God will never go back on his word. He will never go back on his promise to be our God and for us to be his people. He will not reject his people. He will be merciful and faithful to his promise to preserve his people forever. They learn this comforting truth. Listen to Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm Though he stumble, he will not fall. That is ultimately fall away and not make it to the end. He'll keep going. He says, why? Why will you keep going? How do you keep going? Here's why, David says. He says, because the Lord upholds him with his hand. Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
The Lord was upholding Peter with his hand. Listen to this comforting truth that you've heard many times in this church in the promise of Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that is to fully fall away and not keep going. To him who is able, he's got the, this Greek word is the power, the dynamite, the dunamis. He's got the ability and the power to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. There's no fear here. Standing blameless before the glory of God, you don't have to be consumed and afraid with slavish fear. You can rejoice in that glorious presence because he's able to make you do that. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Psalm 30, verse 5, David prays. He says, for his anger is but for a moment. His, his discipline is but for a moment. But his favor, his grace is for a lifetime. Weeping endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen, sometimes because of our sins, we have incurred God's displeasure he is holy, and sin in our life is just as bad as sin in an unbeliever's life. But here's the promise that we have that David learned is that God's severe discipline, it comes to an end. When he says, but when he says joy comes in the morning, morning stands for the time when God gives relief on the basis of his mercy. Psalm 90, verse 14, listen, Moses prays. He says, oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. God's loving kindness, his grace, his mercy in Christ is what makes us sing for joy and to be glad all our days. Listen to Walter Marshall's counsel as we finish. If you fall into some gross sin after you have come to Christ, as both David and Peter did, do not throw away your confidence. Do not expect the wrath of God. Do not think that you are not allowed to be comforted by Christ's grace for a good long time. If you think this, you will be weaker than ever. He says and then you'll be more prone to fall into other sins. But strive to believe even more confidently that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and that he is the propitiation for your sins. The cloud comes over your qualifications so that you see no grace in yourself. Continue to trust in him who justifies the ungodly. Believe in him who came to seek and save the lost. And be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness given to us perfectly and fully embodied in the giving of your Son. In Jesus, we find both, both grace and truth fully revealed to us. And as we go through our life and as we go through moments of dark nights of the soul, and when we experience a dark night,
Help us to remember that it is your fatherly pleasure and love that is disciplining us for our good to squeeze out the old Adam and to put in the new Adam, the new image of Christ. Help us to remember that we can call upon you continuously on the basis of your mercy, on the basis of your son. And we thank you that even in the midst of our struggle with our sin, that you hear our prayer, you hear our supplications, you hear our cries, you receive our prayers for Christ's sake. So comfort our hearts this morning. And though we heard a miserable state in David's life, we see the ironic thing is it leads to joy and comfort and peace. May we leave here today with joy and comfort and peace of the Holy Spirit, walking in the fullness of assurance given to us both through your word here and at your table now. We pray, minister to our hearts, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks, John. That's part two of The Lord Accepts My Prayer. We'll hear the concluding message in this series next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.